0: Pride in the Bible that uh, makes you bad, right? And then there's a pride that I think God gives us as a dad. And to see my baby girl ministering the way she was, whew, man, wow, I'm proud of my girls. So uh, I got to move on before I start crying, and this turns into a cry fest. But, um, you know, I, gotta, I, I was supposed to come out here with like a nice put together face. Um, because my encouragement to you was going to come from one of our devotions this week. For those of you who are fasting, it's in Matthew 6. He says, when you fast, don't look all solemn and downtrodden and disfigure their face, you know, and walk around like, you know, you walk around live like this, like, what's wrong with you? I'm fasting. You know, he's like, he's like hey, just, just clean yourself up. You know what that translates to me? If you're fasting caffeine, don't be grumpy, okay? <laughs> or if you're fasting any of that stuff that's gonna be prone to give you headaches or make you grumpy, don't bring that stuff to me. Get yourself together. To anyway, yeah, I'm so glad you're here. I love being in the house with you guys. I love uh, being, being um, together. Thank you for joining us online. We love you guys. Uh, we'd love to have you in the house as soon as you can. Um, but this year uh, we started with uh, Focus, and Focus 23 is on prayer. And uh, I feel like God is just that. That was the the action that God said to do. He didn't He didn't say go take the hill. He didn't do anything. He said pray, pray. And He's called us as a church into prayer. And this this Wednesday night, a few of us met and we prayed over all of the requests on on our prayer wall. And we're gonna do that again this Wednesday at five thirty. So if you got nothing going on, or if you got something going on, change it. Uh, Come up and pray with us at five thirty, and we're praying over every request. And all the good stuff. Um, so um, last week we talked about how to pray, and um, there was that that created a lot of discussion, and 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 I'm I'm happy about that because people were desiring to learn how to press into the heart of God. This one, I'm just gonna be upfront with you. This is a tough one this week. It's dealing with unanswered prayers, and we all have them, right? We all have those prayers, those big prayers we've prayed, and it didn't happen, and and and. We even see that in the Bible. I mean, Paul, the great apostle Paul, you know, the the man that was radically changed by Jesus who was persecuting the church and Christians on his way to Damascus, Jesus shows up. But even Paul, that we would elevate to this like super Christian, and there isn't one of those, okay? There's just those who are submitted in Christ and those who are not. But Paul prayed about this thorn in his flesh, and he says, I prayed three times for this to be removed from me. And God answered, "My grace is sufficient for you." He didn't. He didn't get what he wanted. Happened to David, King David, in the Bible. After After David fell with Bathsheba and she was pregnant, there was a son, and God had said the son is gonna is gonna die. And in Second Samuel chapter twelve, we see that Samuel uh, David fasted and he prayed and he. He he, he laid prostrate on the floor and he prayed for this child, but the child still died. Those are some tough prayers. I've had the honor of being your pastor for for almost 13 years, and I've walked with you through some tough prayers that were unanswered. Even Jesus. Jesus had a prayer that was unanswered. When you go to the night that he was betrayed in the garden, go go to Matthew chapter 26, the night that he was in the garden praying, he prays before his arrest, his crucifixion, and his, his resurrection. says, then Jesus went with them to a place, went with them, who them? The disciples. Well, the disciples minus Judas, because they had had the, the Passover meal. What we just celebrated is communion. They'd had that, had that just before. And he said, one of y'all is going to betray me. And Judas got up and left. And so Judas isn't with them. So it was 11 of them. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's, that's James and John. And Peter, James, and John actually were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they'd seen Jesus' glory, and he takes them a little bit farther and, um, and he looks at Peter and, and James and John, and he's, he, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That word watch means keep awake, stay alert. So he tells you got the 11, and he brings the three a little bit farther. And, and you know, it kind, it kind of shows us that, that, that Jesus will bring us as far as we're willing to go. But he goes a little bit farther and he says, wait here. He goes, I, I'm, I'm heavy right now. I'm going to go over here and, and I'm going to pray. But what I want you to do, I want you to watch. I want you to stay awake. Okay, I want you to lock in with me. So he goes on a little bit farther and he fell his face on the ground and he prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This scene is in, uh, uh, in, in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I, I want to read, he, so in Matthew, he says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In, in, in Mark, this is what, what he says. I love Mark's perspective on it. He says, Abba, Father. That's like saying, Dad. He's feeling the weight. Of everything coming. And he's like, Dad, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then Luke says it this way. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is praying about this cup. And, and some people think that, that, yeah, Jesus was seeing his imminent death coming. And, and I, I'm convinced of this truth. Jesus wasn't afraid of death. He had already shown that he's Lord over death. So what is this cup? What is this cup that is creating so much agony and the sorrow that he's carrying? And that this cup, you know, we, we see in, in, in Galatians 3.13, it's, it's referred back to. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed as everyone is hanged on a tree. That came from Deuteronomy chapter 21. Because it says, if a man's committed a sin that is worthy of death, worthy of execution, and he's, he's put to death, death on a tree, then he's got to be taken down the same day. Because he is a curse to God and he's a curse on the land. So this cup that Jesus is saying if it's possible, let this cup be removed from me, is is the curse of sin that Jesus is taking on. That Jesus is perfection. He is God in the flesh. He does not know sin. He has never known sin. And what's agonizing Jesus is the result of the curse. Look what happens in Matthew chapter 27. This is verse 46. Jesus gives up his last breath, and before he does, he cries out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows in that moment with his face on the ground saying, Dad, I'm heavy. If it's possible for this cup to be removed from me, please, nevertheless, not my will but yours. Because he knows What's coming, the agony of the cup is the separation from his father because he becomes sin. He knew no sin. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He knows what the result is, but he knows there's that moment, my God, Dad, Abba, why are you turning your back on me? It's because he became the curse for us because God is holy and cannot look on sin And Jesus, that's the agony of the cup, because Jesus had already shown He's Lord over death. He raised Lazarus. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's seen the beginning and the end, and He knows that His resurrection is coming. He knows our resurrection. He knew that resurrection was happening with that widow in India. So we think about—we don't look at Jesus from a historical context of well, the resurrection power was back then. No, it is alive today. Why? Because he's Lord over death. He wasn't afraid of death. What he's agonizing about is the separation from the perfect unity that he's enjoyed with Father. And he says, if, if Dad, if there's a way to do this where we don't have to do that, can we do it? And as he's praying and agonizing, look what happens in Luke. Luke. Look, verse 43, 22, verse 43. An angel appeared from heaven doing what? Strengthening him. What did he tell his disciples? My soul is weary, even weary unto death. And while he's praying, there's a supernatural power happening, a divine strength that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man and filling the weight of the separation and the curse of sin, that is death, an angel is there strengthening him. And then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Verse 40, he goes on. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Now he didn't say just stay awake. He says stay awake and pray. He's adding on. Like if you can't just sit there and watch, then, then then pray, get involved. There's too many of us looking at our world and we're doing too much watching. And the problem is when we start watching, we start falling asleep. And Jesus is saying, look, I didn't call you to go watch the world and report back how bad it's getting. I didn't call you to go become so well adjusted to the culture of the world that you, you fit in without even thinking I'm calling you to watch and pray because I'm setting you in a culture for you to be a catalyst, a difference maker. Because, yes, the world is broken. But there's resurrection power through Christ that he chooses to use through us. And Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, don't just watch, watch and pray. Get engaged with this. Let's get get on this together. He says, watch and pray. That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I got to tell you, I, I experienced that in this garden last year. We were in Israel. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And it's just its awe-inspiring to think that, that Jesus, this is where he prayed before he was betrayed. This is where Jesus was before he went to the cross. And this is where Jesus is saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And I'm, it's an awe. And then our group, they gave us time. They said, hey, we're going give to you, give you some time to go pray separately. So just go find a place in the garden. And so I go walking through the garden and I find this, this this massive olive tree that they're like, this could have been here when Jesus was, because I mean it was massive. And so I get a spot under this olive tree and I start praying. And all of a sudden, distraction comes in. Because I'm praying and I hear buses going by. Horns honking. Other tourists coming through, talking. Oh, this is the garden, you know. All these distractions, and I I was like, "Oh, God, God, it's you and I. I'm in the I'm in the place where you prayed, Jesus. Come on, come, Holy Spirit, focus me in, focus me in." And for my entire prayer time, I kept fighting distractions. That's our prayer life today. Y'all fasting with us? You know what kind of distraction that's going to bring in your life when you start praying. That's why, you know, I, I would was, I was say this, and I do this well in the car. Um, I did this before cell phones and Bluetooth. I pray out loud in the car. And the reason I do that, it keeps me from being distracted. And now, you know, like, well, people might see me. Now it just looks like I'm on a phone call because I drive by people all the time. And oh. I mean, I'm, either you got a really good prayer life or you having a really intense conversation with somebody on the phone. So he says, watch and pray. I know there's distractions. Jesus knows there's distractions. But he's like, look, we've got to stay alert and do what we've got to do to stay alert and stay pressing into the heart of God and pray that we may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. So he left them again and went and prayed for the third time. Saying the same words again. Then he came to his disciples and said, "Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand." Jesus knew his prayer didn't, he wasn't going to end up his way, and that's hard. That's that's a difficult thing to deal with but I love Jesus's response to the prayer. right? Because what happens is then, then they, they come to arrest Jesus and Peter pulls out his sword, cuts off the servant. His name's Malchus, Malchus's ear. Jesus has to pick up the ear and put it back on Malchus and fix that. And um, I wish he'd fix mine because mine hang a little different. So when I wear glasses, they kind of sit weird. I was at the eye doctors like, what can you do about that? And like, oh, we can adjust your glasses." like, okay, anyway, but he probably put Malchus's ear back on where they were level. Yeah, but but look at what he says to me. It was heavy, and I needed to bring some light because y'all, I can see your body language. I can't see you at home, but I know somebody's on the couch right now. going, this is heavy, and so I need I needed to bring some lightness to it. You know, it's like I don't just don't want to wear you out the whole time. I mean, come on, I'm not that terrible. But what Jesus said in in, in Matthew twenty. 26, 53. Now, this is what he says to Peter. He says, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? This is after he just prayed this. He has he has submitted himself in obedience. Look at what, what he says in John 18, 11. This is got that same scene in John 18, 11. And, and he's looking at Peter and he says, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the the cup the Father's given me? We see Jesus go from, if it's possible for this cup to be removed from me, to as soon as the betrayer comes, Judas comes and he brings the soldiers with him that he's already submitted his will to the Father, willing to step in obedience, going, I've accepted this cup. It's mine. And I thank God, I thank Jesus he accepted that cup. So I don't have to. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think some common flesh responses to unanswered prayer. The first one is anger. I mean, we, we base our love and our faith on God when we get what we want. And when we don't get what we want, it starts to produce some anger. It really starts with disappointment. That's where anger will, will stem from. Like we're disappointed. I didn't get my way. I prayed for this, and I prayed for this, and it, 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 I didn't get it. It didn't happen. But in that anger, we start to justify ourselves. And if we leave that unchecked, it starts to turn to bitterness. And listen, I have prayed big prayers, agonizing prayers, and God said no. And I didn't get it. But if we leave that anger unchecked, it'll turn to bitterness. And bitterness. See, see, anger is an emotional level, right? When I mean, we get angry, but when we start letting bitterness creep in, it moves from an emotional level to a heart level, because the bitterness starts to create a poison in our own heart, and we start getting cynical, and we we start getting sarcastic with God, and if we're unwilling to humble ourselves before God to let him deal with the root of bitterness. See, in anger, what we do is we turn away from God and we don't give him a chance to, to minister to us in our hurt. And that bitterness will take root. And if, if we don't humble ourselves before God and let him work on that, we'll, we'll walk away. And I've seen it. I've seen people go from, like, on fire, prayer warrior, prayer warrior. I mean, like intercessor, like, what can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And they're just on it, they're on it, they're on it, and they're solid, and they're they're discipling other people, and then some crisis hits. They pray the big, agonizing prayer, and they don't get what they want, and it starts to work its way through bitterness, anger, bitterness, and then a false reconciliation that God can't exist because I didn't get what I want. How could a loving God not give me what I want? If he's so loving, I, I've learned that God doesn't always give me what I want, but he always gives me what I need. And if I'm going to falsely justify his existence based on me getting my own way, let me tell you something. That's, that is dangerous ground to walk on because the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. What, what is a spirit response? I mean, we look at, we look at the model of Jesus just in that, that short prayer. We, we see the a, a spirit response that if if the spirit is willing and we've got to yield to the spirit the Holy Spirit to work in our spirit to become a willing spirit does that make sense so we yield to him in us so that we can yield to him again but the first spirit response I see with Jesus is submission and I know that's the I, you you would think a lot of times people think when I say submission they think I just I just dropped a four-letter word, man, because we've abused that word. We've abused the beauty of what submission means. I mean, I, when I would do premarital counseling, and I would talk about submission, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I, I love that, because I don't have to fight. I get to get to see it, you know? Submission. And you see this bowing up, right? I, actually, what I would see, I'm just going to call it like it is, right? I would see the young woman bow up. And I would see this young man like, that's right. You hear what the pastor is speaking to you. That's from Ephesians 5. says, wives submit to your husbands. Do You realize that's the only command for the wife in that passage. You're welcome, ladies. Men... Husbands. Well, he wears us out. What he's doing is he's showing us for her to be obedient in the command to submit to her husband as she would submit in the Lord, it means that the husband has to carry a life and live a life worthy of submission. I mean, this is all based on love and respect, and I can't command either one of those, and neither can you. You earn both. How do you earn it? You live the life worthy of it. How do we do that? Well, in that passage on marriage, go read it. Ephesians 5, I think it's 22 through 32. Uh, start listing your responsibilities. But here's what's beautiful in that. He starts out talking about husband and wife, but when he ends up, he goes, I'm gonna explain a mystery to you. The church is the bride, and all the heavy lifting, Jesus did it. And he gives us the power to do it. That's submission. Submission is giving up our rights. And Jesus was submitting himself to the Father. Jesus wasn't praying against God's will. Take this cup for me. Nevertheless, your will. He wasn't praying against God's will. He was praying to align himself in it. Because he uses that word nevertheless. And we don't, we don't, I, don't, I don't use that a lot because that's too long to type. You know, nevertheless. And then sometimes it's spelled correct. Is it never the less? Nevertheless. It's one word. But when you look at that, it means in spite of that. Jesus is saying, if this cup can be removed from me, I'm all in. In spite of that, I want what you want, Father. See, to say nevertheless is a form of concession, we like to use the word but. But is a disagreement. Think about this. Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me, but your will be done. Now that, that's, that, he's making a concession, not an argument. He's not negating what he said, but he's saying, in spite of that, I want what you want. Because the but marks an opposition. You ever hear that? I like you, but. No, you don't. Don't tell me what you're going to tell me. But Jesus is conceding his will to the Father. He's conceding to his plan. See, to become a Christian, we concede our life to his. We declare, Jesus, you are Lord, right? Because scripture tells us, Romans says, says, if you want to be saved, then you have to believe that Christ was crucified and resurrected, that God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. What that means, he's supreme. He's the supremacy of God. He's the first among all things, Colossians tells us. So when we come to Christ and submit our life to him, we are submitting our life to him. And then at some point along the way, we start trying to take that life back. I'm just talking to Matt here, y'all. But we try to take that life back. And it doesn't work that way. We submit to God. I pray big, agonizing prayers. But I also trust God's will over mine. Because I trust him. And see, that's what Jesus had. He had trust. See, trust is built. And do you know that from the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, not just in Genesis 1, 1, but before that, Jesus experienced perfect relationship with the Father. It's called the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They exist perfectly together, three in one. And then that perfect unity, there was an established trust. It was experienced. It wasn't just talked about. you, know, well, you got to trust me. No, 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 no. That trust was earned, and that trust was built. And Jesus trusted the plan of salvation because he knew the plan maker. I mean, you ever think about that? That we, we, get, we get so balled up about these plans in front of us when we know the plan maker. And, and, and we start to lose trust because it doesn't look the way we want it to look. We don't get it the way we want to get it. And so we start to lose trust And we struggle with that. See, there's something that happens. When Jesus prayed, you know, the, the angel came and was strengthening him. There's also something that happens in you and I when we pray. The scripture tells us the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So he's praying things that we don't even know to pray. But he's also testifying to our spirit that God is trustworthy and true and always looking out for what is best and that can be hard for us to accept sometimes because God sees the bigger picture. Ever try to uh, zoom in on a picture online or on your phone and, and I'm, 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 you know, you're doing this, you know. I I was, uh, Heather and I were traveling somewhere and we're sitting at an airport and we got tickled because we saw a lady with a magazine. Magazine. And she's going... Like we have programmed our culture. (laughs) But when you zoom in, there's something that happens. That picture gets pixelated. And there's so many times in our life, all we can see is the pixel. But God steps back and sees from his perspective, and he sees the beautiful picture. But that's a dark pixel that we may be living in right now. And I can trust him because I have a very limited perspective, but he sees the fullness. And Jesus could trust the Father. And that submission and the trust, it led to something in Jesus, it led to obedience. And it should lead to obedience in us because I think we got a lot of us walking around going, I'm submitted to the Father and I trust Him. But we're not taking that third step of obedience. We're not taking the cup. Jesus submitted, I submit to you, God. I submit to your will. Let your will be done. You know, I trust you. I trust you. I ain't taking that cup. it connects because when i submit my life to christ as lord and i trust him with my past my present and my future it calls me to walk in obedience to the life that he has for me cuz remember what jesus said you know shall i not drink this cup jesus drank the cup he was obedient Philippians 2 says it this way, that Jesus was obedient even to death on a cross. He knew what was coming. And he was still obedient. You ever have those things coming at you? You're like, this isn't going to be fun. This is going to hurt. And you still have to go into them. Listen, there's things in front of us. There are big things that, yeah, we're praying for. But God's saying, I need you to submit to me. I need you to trust me. And I need you to walk this out according to His will. So we walk out unanswered prayers with unwavering obedience because He's trustworthy. So, what does that look like? It's making a choice. I mean, we have choices in front of us all day, every day, but it's making a choice. I think it starts with the the choice of choosing God's character over my comfort. Somewhere along the way, I can get in this trap and this lie that my life should be comfortable. And God never called me to comfort. He called me to character. He called me to look like Christ. He called me to walk in unwavering obedience so that the world doesn't see how comfortable I can build my own life, but how much of God's character can be displayed to the world around us. And it's a choice to choose his character over my comfort. I think it's also choosing God's glory over our desires. No matter, listen to this, no matter how noble those desires are, Because I've prayed for healing and did the funeral. I've prayed for reconciliation and sat with them in the courtroom for the divorce hearing. I've prayed noble prayers. But it's not about me. It's about his glory. And I think in those moments that when I don't get what I want, the hardest choice is this. It's choosing hard obedience over self-justified disobedience. Because if I let anger take hold and bitterness build a root, And I will walk away, and I will self-justify my disobedience. Well, here's why I'm not following God. He didn't do this. He did this. I prayed. I prayed. I trusted. I prayed. And we'll even start bargaining with God. I did all this stuff for you. You owe me one. Let me tell you something. If you're going to have the backbone to stand up and say that to God, you better be ready for some of God to come at you. Because I've been on that receiving end. I've been stupid enough, I'll say it, to say you owe me. He's like, I don't owe you anything because there was a cup set before you that you didn't have to drink. Do you realize I'm standing here because of unanswered prayer? because if my prayer would have been answered I'd be standing on a platform on a church in Fairhope, Alabama what's up, Alabama? anybody down there hey, we'll start a campus down there I'll help my flesh wanted to plant the church God said I want you to plant a church we're in blank check God wherever you want us to go and I was praying I was like God let it be beat your mountains beat your mountains beat your mountains I ain't close to either one But because of that, I have seen thousands of lives changed in Fort Worth and the surrounding areas. And I've had the privilege and the honor to be your pastor for 13 years. I thank God for unanswered prayers because I've gotten to walk with you on mountaintops and a lot of valleys you know what? I wouldn't trade a minute of it. If you're wrestling with unanswered prayers in your life, I would just ask you to do something. Get alone with God. Our prayer team will be here at the end of the service. If you're online, submit a prayer request so we can reach out and pray with you. But we would love to, we can't do it for you, but we'll walk with you, we'll sit with you, we'll do what we can, but it comes down to you just humbling yourself and saying, God, I, gotta, I need you to deal with this hurt. I need you to deal with this bitterness. I need you to deal with this pain because I didn't get it. And realize this truth, what we call an unanswered prayer, is always answered according to his will. Father, if it be possible for this cup to pass for me let it be so nevertheless your will not mine and the father said no and Jesus took that cup so that you and I never have to father I'm asking you to bring healing Bring redemption, to bring reconciliation, to bring vision to your will. God, we all carry hurts and wounds where we've asked things that we've we didn't get. But Father, we lay our will aside and say, nevertheless. God, I didn't get what I was praying for. Nevertheless, I trust you. I didn't get what I was praying for, God, but nevertheless, I submit to you. Nevertheless, I will walk in obedience to you. Jesus, thank you for taking that cup. Thank you for being our resurrection and life. Thank you for being our way and our truth. Because without you, we would have no hope. Our faith would be futile. We would still be dead in our sins. And the cup would be ours to drink. Thank you for experiencing that separation so that we never have to. We love you. And we pray all this for your glory in Jesus' name.